Hi everyone, and welcome to the Slug Club, where all things Harry Potter and mischief are managed. It's been a while since our last meeting. You know, it's... it's the end of the year. All of us have been studying for OWLs. Lizzie's in the library right now, actually, as we speak, refusing to put aside her copy of A Thousand Magical Herbs and Fungi. She forbid us from meeting today. But the rest of us just could not handle our excitement any longer. The new Fantastic Beasts film, Secrets of Dumbledore, has finally arrived in theaters. It's been a long four years, and a lot has changed in that time. Pandemics, spring mugwumps, and even Grindelwalds. But let's dive in and get into introducing all of our Slug Club members joining us today. I'm Justin, one of the chasers for Hufflepuff. We came in last place this year. And also joining me on the Slug Club is our Ravenclaw rep, who, like Helena Ravenclaw, has been ghosting me for weeks. <laughs> wow. Must have picked up a new invisibility cloak on her recent visit to Diagon Alley. But we found her using the Marauder's map. She's here with us, our friend Abby. Hey, everyone. That was pretty good. Abby, but you forgot cold. about the footprints that, that you're cold. leaving in the snow. <laughs> Most people don't pay attention. She thought that she could get away, too, because she transformed into that little bird thing that she turns into. Oh, yeah, the uh, the Asprey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she went straight specs. <laughs> and we also have a new inductee joining the Slug Club today. She came equipped in full-on traditional Hufflepuff garb. Harry grew up under the staircase, but she grew up in the Modesto Charter Slytherin common room. My good friend Hillary. Hi, everyone. Hey, so, welcome, Hillary. Hillary. Wait, 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 yeah, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like I just got called out for being friends with Slytherins, but I also noticed I'm pretty sure no one on this in this slug club is a Slytherin, correct? Not in this episode, which, okay. Hillary, you and I have had past conversations with each other about how I'm surprised that you are not Slytherin after your home here in town was listed as the Slytherin common room. Okay. Really? When you first said that, yes, we did make that the geotag for my parents' house, but my house is the Hufflepuff common room. However, oh. Justin didn't clarify why he was surprised I wasn't a Slytherin. He just said, I'm surprised you're not a Slytherin. And I said, excuse me? Am I not nice? <laughs> oh, well, you know, that's, that's, what do you mean? That's another topic for another day. <laughs> I was not offended. I did assume the best of the whole interaction, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, no shade to any Slytherins out there. So being called a Slytherin is, you know, not always like the most heartwarming compliment. They've got a little bit of a bad rap, but I think this is a topic for another day. But I think as, you know, growing in my own self and becoming a mom and all this, you know, character development, you could say, I am a Hufflepuff, but I feel like I'm more well-rounded. And if someone messes with my kid, I might be more of a Slytherin than Go I would straight. like to admit. Go straight yeah. Narcissa Malfoy. Oh, I was oh. thinking Lucius with the cane, where he's like, <laughs> yeah, right there, Draco, right there in the shoulder. Boom. <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, uh, that's a rough one. You know, just uh, oh, Jay assuming that you were a Slytherin. I might know. be offended. I'd be like, are you calling me a pansy? <laughs> a pansy Parkinson? <laughs> no, that's like that's like Narcissa Malfoy vibes, you know? You're, yeah. you're, you I feel like you'd be you'd be in it for the family values, but you'd leave the Dark Lord at the last minute. Oh, I would betray <laughs> him for sure. Like on purpose to make a point. 
Yeah. So Hillary, this is your first time joining everyone around the table, you know, despite being a long time Slug Club member. Why don't you share with everyone a little bit about yourself, you know, what house you're joining us from? Obviously, we've been talking about that a little bit. Maybe what wand you're sporting, your Patronus, and maybe a little bit about your Harry Potter journey, how you came across Harry Potter and why you've stuck around with it all these years. All righty. So I am from Hufflepuff. My Patronus is a Tonkinese cat, which is kind of like a Siamese cat. It's very cute. I was ex oh, excited to get a cat. cat. Yeah. Um, my wand is a sycamore wood wand with a unicorn core, 10 inch, and a quite bendy flexibility. And I'm not sure what any of that means. Oh, 10 because... inch. That might be the shortest wand to date. Might okay. even be shorter than Chris's wand. I thought Chris, uh, <laughs> who was our first guest, had the <laughs> Chris. One of our first guests oh, had the shortest Lord. one, but you know, as long you might as have, it's not umbrage, I'm good. You might have made <laughs> him feel better. Small. So you said sycamore? Yes. Okay, so sycamore pairs well with those looking for adventure. Will become bored with mundane requests from its owner. It will set itself on fire if it gets bored. You know what? This That's is what actually said. what That's I thought. Uh, this like is me. what Chris's <laughs> wand was actually too, right? Chris's wand was sycamore. Oh, was it? Interesting. We're just we're just harboring sycamores. It feels like a bad financial investment, though, to have a wand that's sycamore, because it's like, what if it does get bored and then all of a sudden you're out of wand? I think it's really loyal, which is also nice. But yeah, I mean, how expensive are wands? Do you replace them like you replace a car? I don't know. I never understand the galley transfer. Yeah, I know the the whole it's like it's like it when we went down to Mexico and I was like, man, what are the. What's the what's the pesos? Uh, you know, how does all this kind of kind of trans trans transcribe here? What's I was what's over the... there like bartering with the people over in the town square. I walk away with this like jacket. I'm like, ha, got a great deal, four thousand pesos, whatever. It was. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, <laughs> Justin, no, that's a bad deal. Oh man, okay, so that's my I guess my like stats if I had a trading card. Um, my Harry Potter introduction began in third grade, like 1999, maybe. Yeah, like right after. Is that after the first book or after the second? After the first book was out because my teacher told me about it and we went to Costco to buy it. You and, and believe... your teacher? Wait, your teacher went? No, my grandma went, but my oh, teacher okay. told me about the book and she, because I read a lot as a kid and I thought, okay, this sounds good. So I got the book, read it super fast and then i think i had to wait for the next one to come out or maybe it was already out but as i got into the books and as the movie started coming out the day that the dvd was released for um the first one my mom took us out of school we went and picked up the movie and watched it and so from day one my parents were very on board with me you know loving harry potter which is great then we went to all the midnight book releases at borders and cosplayed <laughs> love it and Dressed up as a Yule Ball character, I think. I don't remember why. I wore like a fancy prom dress, I think. And I don't I don't think I needed a prom dress at that point for anything in life. So interesting that I got it. Um, Specifically got a prom prom dress just for the uh just yeah. for the cosplay of the Yule Ball character. Yeah, it was like floor length too. Nice. <laughs> oh wow. An evening on. gown. Yeah. <laughs> and my bestie dressed up as Hagrid. So I don't know where <laughs> we were going with that but it was a good um really good like experience and super fun so i've been a harry potter fan since then i've 
dragged everyone along to stand in line for midnight releases and you know you line up at like 6 p.m in modesto in the summer it's hot like 100 degrees outside just like standing waiting for a movie yeah and that's in december (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i've been a huge harry potter fan my whole life and i've slowly converted every single person that i've ever met which is great (laughs) Well, Hillary, it's great to have you around, especially somebody who is such an evangelist of the Harry Potter universe. <laughs> yes. Because that is great. These, the, you're the kind of people that we need. On know, the front build. lines. That's right. On the front lines. Doing the laughing, work. Laughing at work. And it's like, what are you laughing about? Oh, this podcast. Yeah, I have told a lot of people about it. And then I realized, oh, no, <laughs> don't listen to the one I'm on. Cause that will be embarrassing, but that is me with like every episode that I've done. So it's okay. Oh. Hillary was telling me, she was like, Oh yeah, I've told all my friends and family members. I'm like, man, it just doesn't make sense. I'm trying to do the math when I take into account Rob listening to every episode seven times. <laughs> and that only leaves 10 left. I don't... <laughs> and you got to factor in the Ecuadorian and the Danish uh, communities, you know, that's, Oh, you guys really big over there? No. <laughs> I mean, thought I'd ask. You know, wait, wait, I shouldn't. Not yet, Hillary. Not. It's pending. <laughs> Hillary, I oh. have a question. So you were saying uh, earlier that your parents' house was the Modesto chapter Slytherin common room. And yes. that's what you guys had geotagged. And what was that in like Google or something? Um, I think it was on Facebook and Instagram. So why why exactly was it uh, the Slytherin common room when you're a Hufflepuff? Well, my best friend was the one she was over, and like I said, she's a Slytherin, so she said we should tag it as this so that no one tries to break in. I said that's a great idea. Just like a Slytherin, yeah, calling territory. (laughs) Yeah, you know. (laughs) And honestly, it sounds way cooler to say like, "Oh yeah, the Slytherin common room." Like, beware than the Hufflepuff common room. What are we going to do? Give you cupcakes and tea? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah yeah. We're so Nobody's crazy. afraid of the Hufflepuff common it's room. It's not deterring anybody from breaking in. It will It's like, not. oh, maybe no. I'll pick up a snack on the way to from the kitchens into the Hufflepuff common room. Exactly. And, you know, I need to re- rename my Wi-Fi. I need to rename my Wi-Fi something intimidating. Like, I have nine guns, you know, or something like that. <laughs> and then he's of the air beware. <laughs> I have I have another question for you, Hillary. Uh, what is you? You've been a dedicated and devoted follower of the podcast, and I was just curious if you have any kind of favorite episode or favorite podcast moment to share. Um, what was my favorite one? The one about Snape. I love him. Oh, and the Great Snape debate. Yes, the oh. Great Snape debate, and I really enjoyed that one. I really enjoyed when you guys started adding in the ads and getting sponsors because those are the ones that yep. make me. You know, we're we're building, we're growing from the ground guard. up. That's right, and Thanks. I'm I'm glad to report, especially after Abby has said like the wildest things this podcast has ever heard. <laughs> we have still retained all of our sponsors. That that was a surprise to us. Amazing. They like that zest. Crazy know. side gear was like, I love what you guys are doing. <laughs> Keep it up. <laughs> it's like the exact opposite with all the people in this new movie. Say oh, one yeah. thing out of line, <laughs> J.K. Rowling writes you out of the movie. <laughs> She's Get her out of the script. 
man. Well, guess who's going to be busy in the Americas <laughs> for the next 12 years? Guess who's going to be suddenly dying from the Ascurious? <laughs> oh, you know what? That does that does make me think, though. Very and important. We never here. introduced me. What? <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, you never introduced. Speaking Rob. of speaking of being written out, <laughs> I never introduced Rob. <laughs> and of course, as always, we also have joining is my brother Rob, who's never read the books. That's I mean that's my fault. I always have that tendency to jump in prematurely. You know that's why that's why I can't go to the Amber Heard trial. You know because I wouldn't be able to control myself. I'd be sitting in the back. I'd be like liar. <laughs> now Hillary, this is especially important if you want to be friends with Abby. Where are you falling on this Johnny Depp trial? Oh, who am I in support of? We're a Team Johnny podcast. Yeah. Yeah, she's a really bad actress, even on the stand. It's so oh. terrible. Like, she's straight up snorting coke while she's up there. Yeah, <laughs> and posing for pictures. I well, know. I, yeah, I thought horrible. of it more as posing for pictures than, than you know, any kind of illicit substances. <laughs> like, you don't, you blow, like, when you have a tissue, right? Like, you're just, you're blowing what's in your nose out. You are not inhaling your tissue. But on the same She's note, to be fair, to to play to play uh, Demoness's advocate, you know, uh, and to uh, Demoness to stand in her uh, her defense a little bit, uh, to play Succubus's advocate. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you don't want to be blowing your nose on national TV. That's kind of gross, right? So you think, I mean, and I've been there before, right? Because I speak publicly frequently. And you, you get a little runny nose sometimes, and you're like, I've got two choices that you can make here. Either you blow it all out, and that's disgusting for like five seconds, or I can fight this. And and you just, you know, just all the way. As far back as it goes. I tell you what, I almost, I almost passed out. I got lightheaded just doing that. <laughs> I'm telling you though, she could benefit from like even pretending to blow her nose because her pretending to gasp and cry, like it's just horrible to watch. I feel like this trial is going to blow up her career. Not because everyone is just like, wow, like she pooped on Johnny Depp's bed and she lied about everything, but also her acting is just horrid. Like I will say that the Me Poo movement has been amazing. Me Poo. They, her name changed on some website. It was either IMDb or Wikipedia. They updated it to Amber Turd. I love that. <laughs> and I saw it on Twitter. And I said, oh, no. <laughs> and and not in a bad, oh, no, like a, oh, oh no. Yeah, but you're just like, oh. <laughs> Poor girl. Thanks. Consequence of your actions. Oh my gosh. Oh my Blame it on the Chihuahua? No way. I know, right? Well, and the thing not. is, too, is she. Is that the dog yeah. they have? A Chihuahua? Yeah, a Chihuahua. Because she, she first tried blaming on the Chihuahua, and then she tried to say that it was just a joke that she was playing, and she didn't think that he would take it that seriously. It was, it was a prank, a Johnny. <laughs> it was and a then prank. Her friend, and then her friend went up there and was saying, well, no, it was the dog, even though Amber had said, like, no, it was me, but it was just a joke. It's just all over the place. It's mm -hmm. a disaster. 
I mean, to cover ourselves, we will say that this is all our speculation, you know? (laughs) Right. Don't sue me. But the only Don't sue me because I've been hearing that Amber's been threatening uh, litigation (laughs) for celebrities speaking out. I've heard that too. No, I don't know if I should say this because am I going to get a defamation suit against myself? Oh, but it's a speculation. Probably not. No. <laughs> Speculative. The only Johnny that would appreciate someone pooping in their bed is Johnny Knoxville. She did it to the wrong Oof. person. Oh, okay. She tried him or Steve-O. I'm just saying. Oof. That, like, part Oof. when they launched the, uh, like, outhouse, like, up in the air. <laughs> Horrifying. Oh, so you saw the new movie, Abby? Oh, yeah. Abby, you saw you saw that saw... movie, but you didn't see the new uh, the the crimes or the secrets of Dumbledore. You know, I was mostly just curious as to how forty year old men were still torturing themselves. And <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> it was like your bodies aren't what they were. You can't do this anymore. <laughs> no, it's a bad choice. It's horrible. But no, I have not seen the new movie yet, so. It'll be a fun lesson for me to sit in and listen to everyone talk about this. Abby, is it safe to say that you're protesting the movie? It's a mild protest because I have nothing against who they replaced Johnny Depp with. I think he's a great actor, but you should have had him there all along or you should have just kept Johnny Depp. Like just replacing him in the last movie. Horrible. Horrible. Like, why would you even do that? Well, I feel like they should have kept him until he was determined by a court of law to have done certain things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, even pirates, like, you know, they got rid of him. Pirates was like, thanks for the billions of dollars, Johnny. Thanks for building our entire empire. All right. To be fair, Disney, I think, was doing pretty all right before Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, fair. But But has anybody seen the Pirates of the Caribbean without... Johnny Depp? Yes. Is there one? Was there a movie without him? Wasn't there? Yeah. All right, full disclosure, I I haven't seen any of them after the third one. The the ocean splits in half, I think. Mm. Is that the name of the movie or the plot? (laughs) One plot point. Orlando Bloom wasn't in it. He wasn't in it, and neither was Johnny Depp, so it wasn't visually not Wait, really? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking to the kid. right person about the visually uh, appealing because this is a not known fact about Abby and Lizzie, but they had Orlando Bloom and Johnny Depp posters <laughs> in their bedroom. Okay, I had it. Not Will as Tyler Pirates of the Depp. Caribbean, though. I had a poster of Will Turner and I had a poster of Legolas. So, oh. so you know. You were consistent. Orlando Bloom was up there twice, but I just had a poster of Johnny Depp as a. Uh, Captain Jack. Not really into his Edward Scissorhands look or anything like that. Okay, I was wrong. I think Johnny Depp's in every Pirates movie except for right. the one that hasn't come out. But Orlando Bloom was not in it. His child is in it. Well, nobody oh, wants to see that. Okay. And he's a kid. Yeah, well, I'm not I going to see the new one. Team Orlando <laughs> Bloom. I had a shirt and a button from Limited 2 from Ooh. like 2001. What? And wore it to As see Lord should. of the Rings. <laughs> And I'm not I going totally to see understand. Aquaman 2 either. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. Mm-mm. I mean, to be fair, though, I haven't seen the first one because I don't care for DC as much. I'll tell you what, this is a 
So it's a warning tale right there because I mean I think it's very clear Johnny Depp has his own demons that he's working through. You know, right. he, had, he sure. was friends with he was friends with Hunter S. Thompson after all. Let's not forget. You know, and when you're hanging out with Hunter S. Thompson, you're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. But I don't know if I see that the uh, that I'm very compelled by the testimony and the evidence that's been put up. For me, it feels more like a a warning sign or a this uh this tale of warning for for young men. It's like you got to be very careful when you're picking a, a wife. That you know, if you pick somebody who is who is very beautiful, sometimes there's something a phenomenon that I'll get into a little bit later because this this plays into one of one of the characters in this movie. There's a phenomenon known as scary hot. You guys heard of this before? See, now I'm trying to figure yeah. out who you're talking about in the movie. You know, Hill. It's you may not have heard of it before because I just made it up, but <laughs> Scary Hot. It's a cousin. It's a kissing cousin of, of Crazy Hot, but Scary Hot. Okay. It's all about in the eyes. You know, it's a it's kind of like how Crazy Hot is all in the eyes. You see the crazy eyes, but you there's do. scary eyes, you know? Almost this fierce, piercing look, you know, that that I'll, I might throw a bottle that severs your finger look, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Ooh. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. But Hillary, that is a big relief knowing that we're on the same team, not just yeah. on the Johnny Depp tribe, but also Hufflepuff too. I know. Go Here I there. thought that you were a rebellious child. <laughs> <laughs> But she's not. She's just a straight, clean Hufflepuff. I mean, I'm clean and straight, but like also, I mean, I would cause a fight or cause a ruckus to make a point. And I think that's okay. <laughs> to defend someone else, to stand up for someone, um, I would definitely like flip over a table or two in the Great Hall. To be fair, maybe that's why your wand is the kind that self-destructs. <laughs> I, you know, I really saw that and said, yeah, sounds like me. That same energy. <laughs> mm. Sounds crazy. Well, when we see through this series too, we see the lengths that Newt will go to, to defend people that he trusts or that he loves. We see him risking his life for his friends like Dumbledore or for love. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Well, good. I'm happy I'm, you guys have analyzed me and found that I'm not actually a Slytherin. I appreciate it. I, I had self doubts for a little bit, but I, I don't. I don't know why I assumed that you were Slytherin, and it just you turns see? out that you were Hufflepuff. You know, it, it just makes sense. Even the people I think were Slytherin in my life are just other Hufflepuffs. Maybe I just don't have any Slytherin friends. I think Hufflepuffs gravitate towards each other because um, we can put up with each other's levels of excitability, and also I feel like Hufflepuffs are also pretty outgoing for the most part. Mm. Which is you know cool. what they say, birds of a feather. Sit in the owlery together, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> now, Rob, birds, birds of a feather and an owlery, doesn't that come to our new ad that you're talking about? Exactly. Thank you for segueing that perfectly with me. Speaking of love and the dangers of love, well, you're going to love, you guys, this new ad that we've got, a new sponsor for a new educational magazine that's coming out for excited learners of all ages. Let's hear about it. Parents, are you having a hard time getting your children to go outside and discover the wonder of the wizarding world? Well, now your child can visit steamy jungles, grassy plains, and the dark depths of the ocean to meet and learn surprising facts about the fantastic beasts that live there. 
all through the captivating and colorful pages of Magizoo Books. Magizoo the publication books. is specially created for young third years who don't want to be attacked by a textbook. Each monthly issue of Magizoo Books is packed with breathtaking full-color moving photos and scientifically accurate illustrations, plus games and puzzles. Today, through this exclusive podcast offer, you can get 12 fascinating issues of Magizoo Books for the special price of five galleons, or 10 galleons if you're Ron Weasley. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for like a punch. (laughs) When you send an owl with your payment, you'll receive the Arumpins issue as a gift. Plus, you'll also be getting the colorful collection of magical creature stickers and the Teddy the Niffler poster. So order Magizoo books today and send learning and fun to a child you love. But that's not all. If you send your owl in the next 20 minutes, we'll send the Magical Amphibians and Reptiles edition as a free download. How fast will the owl get there? (laughs) (laughs) Hauling it. Complete with mumbled commentary from your favorite Magizoologist, Newt Scamander. Hey, Newt, what's that creature playing the banjo in the Everglades? No. Oh my God. Why are there so many songs about rainbows? And what's on the other side? Rainbows are visions, but only illusions. And rainbows have nothing to hide. Hey, Newt, what's that magical water turtle that bands together to fight fires? Mm, Squirtle. Squirtle! (laughs) Squirtle, Squirtle! To order 12 fantastic editions of Magizoo books, send your owl to your local Ministry of Education. Include the promo code SLUGCLUB to receive the Amphibians and Reptiles download. You must be 17 years or older to order. So yeah, you guys, that's Magizoo books. I'll tell you what, that's a a deep cut from the 90s. I don't know if some of our listeners are going to be remembering that commercial. I'm trying to sign up on the Scholastic Book Fair for those right now. I need them. Ask Justin. My face was just like, aw, <laughs> that this doesn't exist and I need to buy this. So I love it. Justin's upset now that he just has like the Fantastics Beast book. Like you're, you're missing 11 issues now. Yeah, I know. All I have is just the unofficial Harry Potter bestiary when I could have 12 editions of Magizoo books. Now, are they written by Newt Scamander, or are they, like, published by something else? Well, they're written by all of our favorite Magizoologists. I mean, there's Newt Scamander, Dora the Explorer, you know, <laughs> Bobcat Goldwaith, you know, stuff like that. It's Ash Ketchum. <laughs> Ash Ketchum, you know, Dex. <laughs> but we are going to be talking about a different Magizoologist today. Newt Scamander and all of his crazy adventures here in the Fantastic Beasts film, It just came out, like we had mentioned earlier, it's been four long years, and a lot of things have gone on since then. There's been a lot of anticipation that has built up to this movie. This is supposed to be movie three out of five? Yeah, they said five. Well, I would ask Abby what she thought about the movie, but we already talked. Abby has not seen the movie. She's just here for added commentary. 
just to spice things up a little bit and remind us all that Johnny's a good man. I've been standing by his side since the beginning. But Hillary has actually seen the movie twice now. Um, so maybe Hillary, what are, what are some of the things that stood out to you in the movie? Some of your favorite things that you liked in the movie? I actually have notes. Um, my favorite things in the movie. So my favorite thing that I'm not even sure if this is what happened, but I'm assuming that this is what happened. I should say that this is a huge, huge spoiler heavy episode. So if you have not seen the movie, you may want to turn off this episode right here. But let's be fair. It's been like a month. Okay. You guys, I don't know if you noticed this, but after the whole Manticore tries to kill everybody thing, um, as they're coming out and they run into the guy in the prison, I'm pretty sure Teddy stole his gold tooth because oh, he yeah. has it yeah, in the did. beginning. He did, right? Yeah, that was absolutely. my favorite thing I ever saw. It's just I like saw that dude's thing. gold tooth and I was like, oh, and Teddy's then it was taking gone. that tooth. Mm-hmm. And it was perfect. And I love <laughs> Teddy. And I, I think I need a Teddy in my life because go and take me I, cool I get things. It. When we watched the Here. first one, I thought for sure... Oh, it's just this random creature that travels around with Newt in his suitcase. He's not going to be, be as prevalent as what he ended up being. I mean, he's like almost the main character at this point. He's the yeah, I know. He started out like being like a, a hindrance to Newt, you know, Teddy. And, and then he became a father. Once Teddy became a father and you saw all the little baby nifflers in uh, Crimes of Grindelwald. I forgot about Teddy that. was like, I need to get my act straight. I need to get my life in order here. And then all of a sudden he joins Dumbledore's army <laughs> and totally redeems himself. I, I love that moment too, Hillary. I, I saw, as soon as I saw that that German guard, that German prison guard had a gold tooth, I was like, oh, Teddy is getting that 100%. <laughs> oh, and then that guy definitely did not make it. That Which is great because you don't want the manicure yeah. to have the gold tooth, you know? No, what would the manicure do with it? spit it back out and then Teddy would have to go through and find it again. That's not fair. That whole, that whole thing with the prison though, is that like, who is that run by? Is that run by the German government? I'm pretty sure that's the German ministry's prison. Like their version of Azkaban. I'd rather be an Azkaban. I think I would think that Azkaban would be more of a global wizarding thing. And this is why I'm glad that Abby's here because Abby has, you know, the, the book reading knowledge that she might be able to su- uh, supply here. But I'm pretty well, sure, like, even, like, uh, Igor Kargaroth was in Azkaban, and he's not he British. He was, but he was a Death Eater, right? So, I mean, like, he was in the UK area. When he was arrested for was his down. connection with Voldemort. Yes, yeah. but as a citizen of Eastern Europe? It was international waters, so they couldn't actually he needs prosecute to, him. I mean, <laughs> due process charges. states that he needs to be extradited but yeah, he to totally his did. jurisdiction. Well, that's how muggle due process works, right? Oh, magic mm-hmm. due process is, is magic so due backwards. Process, do you have to serve the time where you did the crime? It's an interesting question. And because I'd like to say that they're a backwards people. that They just they don't even care about due process. I don't even remember Newt's brother's name, but because of him Theseus. being locked up. Theseus. I don't like that name. It's very, it's not the best. So that, he was locked up in Newt. Germany. I would think instead of being sent back to England, maybe that's how they do it. So this place that we're talking about is called Erkstag, and it's oh. a prison used by the German Ministry of Magic. Ugh. I mean, it's dark, but like, 
really is Azkaban any better? Like, you get in one place, in you've got your held upside down. Well, no, you have your soul sucked out of your body. <laughs> and let's say which is worse. I don't know. But I feel like you have a significant amount of time in Azkaban. Like, in Azkaban, you see Sirius Black, who lived there for, what, 10 years, 11 years? 12 years or 12, of 12 years of it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I always get the number mixed up. Always. But you he's there for 12 years. I'm sure people are there longer. So it's like, you know... At least you have your chances of like surviving. Yeah, okay, here know. you get until the bug dies. Then again, there's That's never true. been you got plenty of time. You got time until your light goes out. And you know, if these are like modern, you know, curvy fluorescent bulbs, you know, I'm talking about these new age ones, could last easily four or five years. On the flip side, though, wasn't Sirius Black the only person to have escaped Azkaban? Um, well, he escaped because yeah. he wasn't registered as an animagus, and uh, mm-hmm. whenever the Dementors showed up, he would just be able to pop into dog form. And you know, Dementors like- don't mess with dogs. It's just like a universal thing. You know, that the, the creatures, even the, even the most heinous of creatures, don't mess with dogs. I mean, like, you could say that, like, Barty Crouch Jr. got out, but he was smuggled out. He didn't, like, flat-out escape. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, places. Yeah, yeah, he had assistance. With his mom. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's just, yeah, Sirius is the only one to have escaped. Like, there's the breakout, but then again, there was help. Yeah, but Sirius the only one to do it without help. So I mean, he like was like Michael wanted. Jordan in the 93 Bulls. He was like, stand back, stand back, Dennis Rodman, Scottie <laughs> Pippen. I got this taken care of. Impressive. <laughs> so I guess you can ask yourself, you know, do you want to spend years wasting away in Azkaban, or do you want to spend a significantly less amount of time in Erkstag? Well, when is... I'll take, I'll take stabbed to death by Manicor, please. When's the wizarding prison reform coming? When are they going to rehabilitate these prisoners? Do they have a plan exactly. to? And if not, then die fast. In general, just the whole process of this frustrates me. They should rehabilitate these people. They don't care about due process. They don't care about liberty. They don't understand freedom. I'd be sitting there upside down like I'm in year one. I'd be like, God, the upside down prisoner has to pee. <laughs> Oh, oh, I'm peeing. I'm peeing on my face, too, on the inside. Try to keep your mouth closed. Have you seen that movie? How's yeah. being upside down look? It looks so like fun. I this is, your hair this is going completely today. over. It's really funny, but what is happening? Oh, my goodness. All you need to know is what should have happened in the movie when Newt saved Theseus is he should have been like, oh, thanks, James. Wait. Why do you, why is your shirt all wet and why do you smell weird? He's <laughs> like, don't, don't worry about it. I, while we're talking about that scene, though, in the prison, I, I love the interaction of Newt with the Manicore babies, yeah, where he does like the forced mimicry. And uh, I've been hearing a lot of negative talk, and I'm looking at you, Super Carlin Brothers, talking about how it's just clearly like a smack in the face to the first Fantastic Beast movie where he does the erumpent dance. You know, like the mating dance of the erumpent. Right, right. Like, but I, I thought that that was one of the best parts of the movie. I mean, the movie is called Fantastic Beasts. And this was one of the few times in the actual movie that we see Newt's commander working and interacting and showing and displaying his knowledge of Fantastic Beasts. Well, so side note, not to like totally derail the conversation, but I've been talking to Justin earlier and I was telling him 
part of my beef with like the Fantastic Beast series is it's just not so much about Fantastic Beasts, right? It's kind of just about Grindelwald, which mm. it's like if That's in what the it's first turned into. Right. Like if in the first movie they revealed Grindelwald was involved and then they like split it off where it was like a separate series about Grindelwald and then there was a series about Fantastic Beasts, I think that would have been the best route to take because then they yep. have two separate revenues. But they didn't. And so it's just like it doesn't make sense to me that Fantastic Beast is not really about Fantastic Beasts. So I 100% agree with you. And that was one of my one of my takeaways from the movie was that it just felt like it was pulled in two separate directions that the Fantastic Beast element and Newt Scamander himself has really taken a backseat to the overarching Grindelwald and Dumbledore plot line. Uh, it's, it, it just feels like the, it, I, I, I hear exactly what you're saying and I agree with you. It feels like two separate movies as far as the story goes. Because there are moments where I'm like, why is Newt even here? I mean, I guess this is the route they took. But I, I, you saying like you liked that he did that mimicry like noise because that's what it should be about, or it's like you know, at least what the series is called. Is, yeah, you know, I, I felt like movie. it's it's what I wanted out of the series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I, I wanted yeah. to learn more about the the lore of the Wizarding World. Here's why I'm not so interested about the Grindelwald Dumbledore thing is because we already know what happens. We already know that they battle in 1945. Exactly. Right. And so, and this is even kind of weird because according to Rita Skeeter's book, uh, you know, where she talks about Dumbledore's life, she mentions mm-hmm. that they don't meet from the time that Ariana's death to when Dumbledore defeats him in 1945. So it, it feels like we're kind of going against that, but I guess you could also say Rita Skeeter maybe didn't have all the information. Because really nobody sees the duel between Dumbledore and Grindelwald at the very end. But I don't know. We're jumping ahead on that. I felt like certain elements in the movie were very cool and very visually pleasing to watch, right? Like the book scene where um, she throws out the book and they walk across it like a bridge was amazing. And so was like the duel between Aberforth and Dumbledore and Grindelwald. But... Did that need to happen for us to understand about more about Newt and the Fantastic Beasts? No, I think, no. you know, you guys are right. I think they could have split it into two movies and made two different little franchises. And then mm-hmm. when all the Johnny Depp stuff happened, they could have put a pause on those movies, continued making Newt's movies, and then revisit those when the time was right. But mm-hmm. And this is now- why I've heard that there's maybe going to be a stop to the Fantastic Beasts instead of doing another two movies. Because we kind of see a lot of the arcs being resolved during the movie. Like we see Jacob and Queenie get together and they marry at the very end, spoiler. And we see Newt and Tina and we know that they are eventually going to be together going off of like family trees and everything. Disappointing is in like, you know, who like, who do you think that Newt should be with? Oh, Tina Goldstein is just such a bore. I mean, I would agree. Tina Goldstein with her yeah. teeny head, with her head that's too small <laughs> for. So small. She looks like she's part giraffe. It's just. <laughs> oh my word! Got, I really would like is stuck with teeny tiny head Tina. Teeny tiny head Tina. Poor I can't Tina. handle you. And she's just she's kind of a bore. Like I don't know. She's it's cool that she's an aura. I don't know. It just I don't feel like. 
she doesn't personality have... wise that she has much stuff that's really intriguing about her and i think she's kind of a blase character when you compare her to somebody like lally who I thought was a bright, shining spot in the movie. No, I got Lolly as being one of my least favorite things. Oh, really? Yeah. She was fun. Oh, no, it was just, it, it, the accent was too much. It was just too much, the accent. And it's like every single time, every line, I just felt like my I was grinding my teeth. And I felt what like was it about either, the accent? either she was acting over the top compared to everyone else or everyone else was underacting compared to her. Like every line just doesn't seem like it fits or that it's supposed to be there. It felt like everything she said was cut and pasted from some other script and just thrown into this one. Her delivery, especially with her accent, just didn't fit the scene. Her, uh, yeah, yeah, her I transatlantic her accent was a mm-hmm. lot. In her delivery, she did great for a transatlantic accent, right? Like it sounded cool, but I think she was like the Gilderoy Lockhart of this movie. Where he like stands out as someone who's like kind of too much for like the whole, you know, Chamber of Secrets happening. He's a lot to handle in that movie. But, you know, she was kind of the same way to me. Kind of same like comedic relief almost. But you didn't really need that because you have Jacob and he's. And he was a star. He's the best. Yeah, I I love him. <laughs> oh, I wholeheartedly disagree. Wholeheartedly. We can now, fight later. <laughs> Lally, Lally actually is in the crimes of Grindelwald. Yeah, Did you guys recognize that? She is. She's in The Crimes of Grindelwald. She's in the book that Nicholas Flamel speaks to. She's like, And what's hey, interesting about right that away. is she doesn't have the transatlantic accent. And here's my problem with the choice, the acting choice to use a transatlantic accent, is it's, it was never a real accent. The transatlantic really? accent was a affectation of movie stars during this time period, the 1920s, 1930s, so that American English would be easily understood in different markets, like so that people could, uh, that's why it's called transatlantic, that it's like this kind of sing-songy American British, you know, that would, that would play in American British European markets that, that nobody actually spoke in real life. And here's the thing. Lally is is from Harlem. <laughs> well, transatlantic is kind of more of an East Coast accent. So like New York is totally fair game. And I, I honestly, I love it. And I, I hear you guys. I think what you're getting at, Justin, as far as like the sing song top quality of her voice and the way she delivers lines. I think it's the inflection that might be uh, that might be over the top that she's very high with her inflection you know it's and it, it doesn't seem to fit in the tone but i i think that just adds to the charm of lally i think that adds to the charm of miss you lally hicks as a character um, she's very cute but i couldn't understand when she sat down with the kids in hogwarts and said you should take charms like that's a required course isn't it like everyone yeah. takes charms yeah I she's a so. professor at ilvermorny though ilvermorny so, so she she's, know Hogwarts she's the charms professor at Ilvermorny. And I love that scene where she's at Hogwarts and she's looking around in the Great Hall like, mm, not as good as Ilvermorny. Like, <laughs> watch it again and look at look at Lally in the Great Hall as they're interacting. <laughs> and she's just so unimpressed with you this. It's like peasants. Kowalski is like yeah, looking Kowalski. at everything in wonder. <laughs> and then Lally is like, mm, stinking Brits. You know, like... <laughs> But I love her. She's the charms professor, and 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 she is charming. She is just charming. She's lighthearted and sweet and delightful. 
but she's clearly a very bright and very powerful witch. One thing I was looking forward to the whole movie when I saw Lally and she was part of like Dumbledore's army, I was like, oh man, there needs to be a showdown between Lally and Scary Hot French Lady. Who, <laughs> if you were waiting for them to actually say her name in the movie, sorry, doesn't happen. <laughs> I, I think that's look what up she's her credited name. as in the in the script. Scary hot, <laughs> scary French, hot lady. French lady. Her name is Vidna Razier. <laughs> you know, Razier. Mm. Uh, the uh, you know she's uh, part of the pure blood like French family mm. that's there. And there is a Razier that's mentioned in the Harry Potter series when Igor Kargaroth is brought oh, before really? like the tribunal council, and he's trying to give up different people. He was like, there was a Razier. Evan Rosia. And then, oh, yeah. you know, Barty Crouch yeah. Sr. is like, Mr. Rosia is dead. <laughs> what? No. <laughs> <laughs> like... Oh man, but they're but it's it's a family that's been known for, you know, it's it's pure blood heritage, also some dark, you know, pure blood supremacy kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I, I love just calling your scary hot French lady. People probably know what you're talking about, so. <laughs> I mean, we haven't seen somebody so scary hot as as Vidna Razier since we've seen Megan Fox in movies. Like, yeah. that's the American equivalent <laughs> of what we're talking about here. <laughs> that Great Hall scene was one of my favorite scenes in the movie because I loved, like, the interaction between Kowalski and the students there at the Hogwarts. Yeah, yeah, like, he's trying to, like, play off and, like, be cool with everybody. And he's just like making things up as he goes. And then like we see it, the, the Slytherin kids are like picking on him and pulling pranks on him too. That part was really cute. I like that whole scene with him and the interactions. Here's like, oh yeah, I... here's my wand. It's snake wood. Like it's- Yeah, yeah, it's, mess, no. you <laughs> mess you up. <laughs> Very powerful. No, mess you up. <laughs> so great. I've actually, I heard- wonderful. I heard over at Ilvern Morney, there's actually a snakewood tree, kind of like the Whomping Willow over at Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. Well, it's Salazar Slytherin's wand was, uh, was brought over to the Americas, and the wand was buried there, and it turned into a snakewood tree, and its limbs, its leaves like have healing properties, but its limbs cannot be cut. I've heard some theories out there that this snakewood wand might be Salazar Slytherin's or like it come from that tree of Salazar Slytherin snakewood tree, but that doesn't sound like the case. Mm -hmm. But um, it doesn't have a core in it. It also doesn't have a core, so zero power, uh, right. which was kind of like, I was kind of like, uh, well, that's dumb. Oh, so, here's one thing that I don't get, and Abby, you're you're going to be the professional on this. I don't maybe. understand how Kowalski's able to go inside Hogwarts uh, because there are charms where muggles can't even see Hogwarts, right? That Hogwarts just looks like ruins with a bunch of hazard signs to muggles. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, there is. The best I can come up with is that because he was expected, he could see it, right? But it's mostly set up so that way, like, unsuspecting muggles who might, like, come across it or whatever, they remember a appointment or whatever that they need to sure. go to, and they, like, turn around and go the other way. It's so, nobody cast, like, a Revelio charm. Yeah. It's more geared towards unsuspecting muggles. Oh, we're finding loopholes. What if he's a squib? Maybe. Are there any take. squibs in this series? Mm. I mean, maybe, right? Yeah, and, and then the he was, also... was able to make it. Was able to make it for the sorting ceremony at Hogwarts. And he was also able. What is it? When she obliviated him, it didn't work. 
That was my theory that he oh. was a squid. And then in the subsequent movies, it would be revealed, you know, like the next secret. Well, yeah, the secrets the of Jacob. Yeah, the Oblivious <laughs> spell was only for bad memories. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, I didn't have any of those. I was the mm. one New Yorker with, with no <laughs> Go figure. So while we're talking about Kowalski, though, uh, can we just say like how amazing Kowalski is? I mean, he's the star of the Fantastic Beasts franchise, clearly. I think so. He's pretty charming. He's sweet. Like one thing that's is just very pure. A pure, and I'm glad you said that, Abby, because I'm gonna, I'm going to be talking a little bit about that. One thing I I really was disappointed with was that the uh, I, I I won't say it now. I'll I'll save it for later. But I want to talk about how Jacob Kowalski's story in this movie begins and ends with a wedding cake. Aww. You Does guys it? notice that? Yeah. No, mm-hmm. that when he's there have, at the beginning, the he's in his bakery, no, in and there's thing. a wedding cake oh, there, the and the husband has fallen down. And one thing that we need mm-hmm. to understand is that there is like six or seven years in between Crimes of Grindelwald and Secrets of Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I had the timeline here that it's uh, 1926 is Fantastic Beasts 1. Crimes of Grindelwald is 1927 immediately after. And then 1932, so six years later, is uh, cr- the Secrets of Dumbledore. Uh, Why the gap? That seems. I mean, you got to spread it out though, because the defeat of Grindelwald is 1945. So if, mm-hmm. if yeah, you're exactly. doing a five movie series, you know that the end date is 1945. Yeah. So there's got to be a gap, but the only problem is it doesn't feel like they ever address that gap. And that was one of the things that I thought was kind of weird about the movie. Queenie has been gone and serving Grindelwald for six years. That means that Kowalski has been alone in his bake shop in the bakery for six years. And that explains why he's having this hallucination about, <laughs> about Queenie coming there. You know, he sees the cake in the, the first scene that we have him there. And the, the husband on the wedding cake is toppled down. But it's beautiful because they get married at the end. And then there's the wedding cake there with the husband standing upright. It's 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 amazing. Uh, you've got Kowalski, who is set up in this opening scene as somebody who has a pure heart and somebody with noble intentions. It's why yeah. Lally stages this assault to show like and she says specifically to show you what kind of a man you are. And yet the chillin does not bow to Kowalski. I thought that was a big, big miss. Blunder. I know I big was going to I was going to say it. Fortunate. I was going to say it that they they should have had. It felt like they were building the whole movie, not even just the whole movie, but the whole series up to Kowalski being the one that the chillin' bows to. Um, Dumbledore even tells Kowalski, he's like, you are, doesn't he say something along the lines of like, you, sir, have like a noble heart or a pure heart. That's what Dumbledore tells him. I mean, and uh, to, to, before we talk about the chillin' stuff, let's, let's just overview the chillin'. So chillin', Q-I-L-I-N. Chilling like a villain. The fantastic beast that, <laughs> yeah, chilling like a villain is the uh, is the big plot device throughout this entire movie. The movie takes place in 1932, and there's a big wizarding election that we've never heard of before <laughs> that takes place in this year. It's kind of it feels like the Tri Wizard Tournament in the Goblet of Fire. It's like, oh, by the way, we have this wizard tournament that we've never discussed before. But it's like all of the different like wizarding communities of the world vote for their for the leader of, you know, like the International Wizarding Council. Who's yeah, the International like, Confederation of Wizards, right? Sounds right. dangerous to me. And so the whole plot centers around this election. 
and there is a plot of Grindelwald that comes to light that they're going to use the chillin as leverage to uh, make Grindelwald become the person who is elected as the head of the International Confederacy of Wizards. And then that would be their launching pad for them to uh, begin this war on the muggle world. The chillin' is like in the first, well, I guess the second scene. First scene if you're in China, but the second scene if, if you're... <laughs> oh. the second Have you not scene, heard this? No. So they're, no, cutting, the they're cutting out the opening part with Dumbledore and Grindelwald where they're like having this dinner and and Dumbledore expresses in in writing in the script with words that he was in love with Grindelwald. Yeah, yeah. So and that's it kind why of he puts things him. into 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 stone, you know. And that's why he followed mm -hmm. Grindelwald when they were younger. But in China, they are omitting that part. I was gonna say, like, when you, <laughs> I mean, my first thought was, why did they reference that the that the uh, president of China looks like Winnie the Pooh, and that's why they omitted it. Do you guys know oh, about that? No. no. <laughs> so there's a whole thing where like Winnie the Pooh is banned in China because <laughs> a lot of like memes were made pointing out like comparing him to Winnie the Pooh and he got really mad. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Seriously, Google like Google him and then Winnie the Pooh and they Google Xi Jinping Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> yes. Side by sides are incredible. But anyways. That makes more sense than it would be because it's two guys that were in love versus Winnie the Pooh. But that's it's like Russia. Scene. It's, it's like Russia. No, no. No, no gay no gay men in Russia. No. There are no gay people in Russia. <laughs> no. No. I don't Is think that statistically that's possible. <laughs> have you seen that movie? Gay? What? No, no, I'm Russian. It's um No, no, I'm Russian. <laughs> Probably like oh, a long man. time ago. I just oh, you oh, need to see movie. it. It's so good. It came out like during the pandemic, right? Like mm -hmm. right yeah, Eurovision. It's Will oh. Ferrell and Rachel McAdams. Then it's going on the list. I thought it was. Why was I getting it switched with Euro Trip with Ashton oh, Kutcher? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't like, recommend that movie. I wouldn't recommend that movie. But Eurovision. Eurovision. Oh, they're singers. Huh, yes. right? huh, 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 no wonder. Huh, 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 huh. <laughs> She's like, oh going on the list Justin did, did that right next to my face too so, so that's the opening scene Bye, between Dumbledore and Grindelwald in this cof in this uh, cafe like this coffee house and they have you know breakfast or they're, they're just sitting there talking together and then that kind of like fizzles out and you're almost left not knowing if that's real or if it's like a vision or a memory yeah or, I was like, unsure I didn't know if that was a memory or ended. like it fades away Mm -hmm. it's like almost like maybe it was a uh, Dumbledore looking in the pensive kind of a uh, kind of a moment but then he wasn't um, looking in the pensive when it like evaporated and everything yeah but it's clear that it's not a past memory because Dumbledore has Grindelwald's blood pact wrapped mm -hmm. around his arm and Grindelwald's like feels so weird not having it around my neck how does it feel around yours you know <laughs> like kind of like hey you know you you you've hurt me and there's like it's very clear that there's still like very strong feelings between the two of them i did not get the sense that grindelwald cares had, for dumbledore had many feelings for dumbledore no i felt like my my impression of that scene was that grindelwald was almost like using dumbledore even way back when you know he's manipulated so many people we see it with queenie we see it with credence we see it 
maybe even with Dumbledore, where he's manipulated this guy into having feelings for him. That was my interpretation of it. That was the sense that I got. I think that's a totally fair interpretation as well. It it feels like they pay like slight homage to like their relationship, but that's it. Like there's like so little and it's like basically nothing. But that's the opening scene. Second scene, you have Newt's commander in the like the forest of China getting ready because there's a full moon and that means that a baby chillin' is about to be born. And the big problem I have with this whole movie is it feels like a heist movie, but the whole movie is just the heist. Like, there is no exposition. There's no, like, explanations of the plans or anything like that. The whole movie just feels like you're watching a bank robbery take place. And that's that's kind of the thing. And so you got the chillin' that dies. The chillin' is supposed to be this this big representative. Oh, we didn't talk about Kowalski. We got, we got thrown off track. Never mind. Uh, we, we lost ourselves in the whole Chinese market debacle. Anyway, I was saying that they set up the series like so that Kowalski is this guy that you think the chillin would bow down to because the chillin looks into somebody's eyes and if they have pure heart and noble intentions, the chillin bows to them in recognition. And this was the ancient practice of the wizarding community to select their leader. But then you've got Jacob Kowalski, a muggle, who is continuously told like that he's unique and he doesn't think very much of himself. But you look at the first movie when uh, Queenie's like, I'll never forget you. And he, and he's like, oh, there's there's thousands of guys like me. You know, he's he's basically saying I'm nobody. And Queenie says to him, no, there's only one like you. And then he refuses to go with Queenie, even for selfish reasons in Crimes of Grindelwald. Lally stages an assault at the beginning of the movie to show him what kind of a man he is. When he asks Dumbledore if he can keep the wand, Dumbledore says, I can't think of anyone more deserving. You know, like, it, it, it just feels like it would have been so much better to show Grindelwald a muggle who was more noble and pure of heart than he was. Yep, I think they totally misstepped. They missed it. And, and you know, at the end, the chillin' bows down to Dumbledore, and Dumbledore's like, no, 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 please no, please don't. And he like rejects the chillins thing. And he was like, I'm sure there's somebody else here that is, you know, just as just as worthy or deserving. And he bows down to the lady from Spain, you know, and just that's kind of it. The, the lady who says literally nothing except lifts the Cruciatus curse off of Kowalski. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's basically after all like she a does. minute. Yeah. After you let him sit there <laughs> and be in for a while. Nobody's doing anything. Oh my gosh, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's so dirty. Yeah, I didn't really like that scene where it was like, okay, it goes over and bows to Dumbledore. And Dumbledore's like, oh no, I'm sure someone else is worthy. And then the chillin's just like, yeah, you're probably right. I'll just and go the over this like, person. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what about you, lady? <laughs> uh, speaking of speaking of dark and dirty, that, that second scene, I mean, it's like this beautiful moment where Newt witnesses the birth of this chillin, and then, boom! Grindelwald's army shows up and somebody, Avada Kedavra, I think it's the French lady. She, Avada Kedavra, scary hot French lady. Yep, she, <laughs> Avada Kedavra pops up again. <laughs> she, Avada Kedavra's the chilling mother. And I'll tell you what, they got me in the feels because I'm a child of the 90s. And that means that all the old Disney movies were just coming out on VHS. Brought me back to Bambi feels because these chillings look like little deer, Abby. And I oh, said, they're, they're like so scaly cute. deer. And it brought me back to bed. I was like, mother! <laughs> <laughs> okay, but why did it take the mom so long to die? 
Oh, that's an interesting See, case. Avada Kedavra is immediate. That. Why mm -hmm. didn't she die immediately? Huh. Did they address that at all? Or They don't really address it. Uh, my my assumption, hole? my only reason I can give them the benefit of the doubt for is that maybe the chillin didn't die immediately because of its scaly hide, like it's covered in all those scales. Like you look at things like a dragon, and they mention in the Goblet of Fire that an Abada Kedavra from a single wizard wouldn't kill a dragon. Like it would take several mm -hmm. wizards, you know, or one incredibly powerful wizard to do it. Mm -hmm. So maybe chillin, because it's such a pure creature, or it has like this, you know, magical hide, maybe it offers some resistance and it just took longer for it to happen. But it, it seems kind of weird. Yeah, that what they, if what that if the chillin mother the lives magical hide? What if it was because the person who cast the spell didn't really want to kill the chillin? Like if they did not really intend to kill the chillin, in their heart, they're like, you know what? I know that Grindelwald has told me to do this, mm. but I there's a piece of me that doesn't want to. We see in Goblet of Fire where Hardy Crouch Jr. is teaching the class about the unforgivable curses. And he's saying, I bet none of you could even cast the curse and it would basically just be a pinch for me. Wouldn't, right? even, wouldn't even give me a bloody nose. Yeah. Wouldn't even give me a bloody nose. So I wonder if something like that happened where the caster didn't really, in their heart, did not want to kill the chillin'. But even though it was Avada Kedavra, it wasn't as like full of a force that hit it, but it was more of like a dumbed down force. And even that amount was enough to kill it prolonged. Jay, are you saying that scary hot French lady lacks conviction? <laughs> she might have a soul. Just look at her eyes. <laughs> I don't think she has a soul, but she is probably <laughs> looking out for herself. Hey, if this doesn't go the way I want it to, I need an out. I never did anything. I never even wanted to kill that. Pull but it up in the and see. Yeah. <laughs> Rewatch my memory. It away. Grindelwald, take away my memory like you took away Mr. Kamas. Mm -hmm. I think that they needed that moment, though. They needed the chillin' to survive for Newt to climb back up from the river because he gets stunned and launched down a river, and then he survives and climbs back up to see the dead chillin' just as a last tear falls down in her face, and then Eddie Redmayne so gets sad. to sing to her. Had you been there tonight, you might know how it feels. <laughs> to be struck to the bone in a moment of bright green light. <laughs> Oh my goodness. But then you see that there was a second chillin that was born that exposes itself. And then there's hope once again for Dumbledore's army because Grindelwald's forces don't know that there were twins. Apparently the birth of a chillin is this rare. I mean, it's it feels like this rare mystical event that's taking place, mm -hmm. like the full moon. And it's like Newt had to be there just at the right moment. And then it's but like, it's, oh, wait, there's another one. Maybe twins are a really rare. Likelihood. Well, we can't look it up because it's not in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the textbook. So oh, no yeah, information on a chillin. None. I know. You'd think that that would be some, I mean, you know, you think eventually you got to add some that, new stuff. Like volume two, maybe? Yeah, <laughs> yeah volume two. But I, I felt like that was the one time in the whole movie that that Grindelwald's forces really had the leg up on on all of Dumbledore's people. They bring they bring the baby chillin to Grindelwald. And I think Grindelwald really had this expectation that the chillin was going to bow to him because he like tries to get the chillin's attention. But the chillin keeps looking away from him like immediately. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And so he like grabs the chillin, brings him into a nice warm embrace, Abby. 
Don't listen to that. And then splits oh. its throat. So sad. In like a span of 15 minutes, you've got the mother and the child getting dropped so quick and so heartlessly. It was horrible. In the, and then the blood pools out oh. onto the like cement floor of this courtyard. And in the blood, because Grindelwald is a seer, we've seen this in the crimes of Grindelwald. Remember he had the skull hookah? Like Sybil yeah. Trelawney is a seer? Yeah, just like some like, people yeah. are like legitimates and some people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's a seer, and I think it. I think it's because he has two different colored eyes. I think maybe, <laughs> I think maybe that's it. <laughs> like, you're born with two different colored eyes, or if you need extremely large glasses, it makes you a seer. <laughs> Something that affects the eyes directly. You know, you guys remember the hookah skull that he had? He would like smoke through the hookah skull, and then he'd exhale the smoke so other people could see his visions. And that's what he uses to like show like where Credence was in the beginning of the movie. And then also to show like the terrors that the Muggles would bring about in World War II. One thing that I, I found out about the hookah skull is that written on the hookah skull is Grindelwald's like insignia. The insignia that you saw of his supporters like shooting fireworks into the skies with. His symbol. Yeah, his symbol. Oh. And then also it had, you know, the German translation of for the greater good where it's like Führer das Grobeer Hull. Uh, and also the year 1898 is put on the hookah skull. 1898. 1898. And I was racking my brain trying to figure out what that <clears throat> would mean. But if you assume that he was born in 1882 or that maybe early in 1883, 1898 would have been the year that he was cooked out of Durmstrangs. Because we know oh. that he was expelled from Durmstrangs at what? age 16 for doing crazy experiment stuff, like dark, twisted experiments. And you know you gotta be going dark when you get kicked out of Durmstrangs, a school that, that teaches dark arts as a course. Right. And so I'm like thinking like that's when he there. made the hookah skull. That he made the hookah skull when he was there. Maybe that's what got him kicked out. But it like was that year. Like his final ceramics project? Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that for show and tell. Failed. It's like, well, how did you make that, Gellert? Uh, well, easy. Uh, you guys, you guys remember me, Kyle. Uh, I killed him, and that's his skull. <laughs> like, oh, interesting. I was wondering where Mikhail went. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I could see him doing something really dark like that. Oh, just he gives me like the ick. <laughs> like I don't but like it. Oh, yeah, yeah, like exactly. the You know. Yeah, he definitely gives off those kind of vibes, the kill you and use your skull as a hookah kind of vibes. Uh, Especially with Mad playing him, mm. because mm. he's Hannibal to me. He's Hannibal Lecter in a TV show. Oh, okay. A dark How did everybody TV feel show. that Mads Mikkelsen did as Grindelwald? I don't like him in I liked, general. I liked Mad. I think he's a good actor. He's I liked Mad the politician. Too as Grindelwald more than I did like Johnny. Mm -hmm. But I think I like Johnny. Johnny seemed a little bit more like evil or menacing than Mads does. Sure. Mads seems more like, okay, this is the adult, like this is the adult scary. He looks like somebody that you can trust and that somebody that like people will follow, but then inwardly he's like a really dark dude. Right. Mm -hmm. I see that too, where Johnny was like the unhinged, Grindelwald, where you could see, okay, this is a guy that would start some sort of rebellion, but then Mads was the kind of guy who you could easily fall into believing him. Mm. Um, like he Maybe could that's why they needed him it. for the third movie. He, I could see how people would have fallen for him 
you know, not to like off track it, but I could, I was curious to see when the Malfoys would be brought up because I could see how Lucius would have gotten his urge to follow Voldemort if his dad, Abraxas, was a follower of Grindelwald. Right. You could definitely see that Ooh. because if they fell into it, because you know they're sacred 28, they're right, and they want to be trendsetters over here, just you know, doing their thing with their long blonde hair. But I could see him <laughs> being like, okay, this guy, I need to get behind him. They were French, though, not German. So I don't know what the French were. Oh, the but I could see them. Yeah, I could see them, you know, trying to, okay, let's like inch my way into this and see if I can make something of myself. And I could definitely see people following Grindelwald because he's like charismatic, right? Right. And he does put on a good front. I mean, and that's, and that's, that's one thing that the German ministry really helps with. Like you get the strong sense that the German minister of magic, Anton Vogel, currently holds the position as the chair, like the, the prime minister over the Confederacy of Wizards. Um, so he's like the international leader of the entire wizarding world. And it's during this election that he makes the announcement that he is exonerating Grindelwald of all of his crimes. I was really like, what confused a political in that move. part, though, where it was like, wait, so the movie doesn't do a great job of identifying that the German minister of magic or whatever his title is is mm -hmm. actually supreme mugwump right of the international confederation of wizards also is the title supreme mugwump because that's the title that uh that's a title that albus dumbledore has and he he's, doesn't like he's become supreme mugwump of what though well, that's a good question abigail i think we're throwing mugwump around a little too liberally <laughs> But what I've looked at online, when you type in political election, secrets of Dumbledore, it talks about the International Confederation of Wizards and then Supreme Mugwump was the title that they were all going for. Santos, Grindelwald. Yeah, Santos was it until Dumbledore took over, it looks like. I had to look it up. I so Politics Dumbledore make my brain position. freeze. Dumbledore held this very position after Santos. Oh, gosh. And then someone else took so why over would he tell the chillin no then? Wasn't ready, I guess. I thought That's that was so curious, dumb. Too. That makes me even more upset that he said no to the chillin. Well, but I then it was like, why the chillin bow to him? Maybe. Why did chillin bow to him in the first place, though? I don't think that Dumbledore is pure of heart. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think no. they were trying to set this dichotomy or set this parallel between. Dumbledore and Grindelwald as foils of each other. And the, the 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 parallel should be there because they're both the brightest and most powerful wizards of their age, of their time. Mm. But I think I think they tried too hard. And plus I think that Dumbledore is too dirty. I think he's got too much blood on his hands to be able to be considered as the most pure person in the room. When you're talking about you have Newt's commander, somebody who remains uncompromised throughout his like his time, and also Jacob Kowalski. Even right. Bunty. Even sweet know, little Bunty. Bunty. What about sweet her? little useless Bunty? I thought that she that, that's that's She's what sweet. my thoughts were too. Like, why was Bunty even in this movie? Abby, do you remember Bunty from Crimes of Grindelwald? Um she is in one have... scene as Newt's assistant. Oh. And she like is helping uh, to feed yeah, the Kelpsy. Yeah, yeah. And he yeah, and she's like, brief. Maybe you should take off your shirt, Newt. Why doesn't he end up with her? She obviously <laughs> likes him. And I think she comes to a point at the end of the movie, like it's clear that it's not a love triangle in any way. 
in the movie before you had this weird love triangle, like this weird, weird love hexagon or something, Pentagon going on with Newt and Tina, Lita Lestrange, and also his brother Theseus. Like it was so weird. There were mm-hmm. like two conflicting mm-hmm. love triangles going on at the same time. You had the Newt, uh, Newt triangle, both of them at the center. And you had Tina and Theseus and Lita all kind of like this weird chemistry and weird, awkward, emotional stuff that was going on. But then they tried to do that again for this movie. But it's clear that Newt isn't interested in Bunty in the least. Mm-hmm. Even just the mention of Tina, Newt just like blushes immediately and just can't stop mm-hmm. smiling. So Poor cute. Bunty been friend zoned for like seven years now. Seven years straight Newt? of friend zoning. He does not He finally Newt. realizes in the end that it's not going to happen. <laughs> Guaranteed, Tina has no idea how Newt feels about her for all this time. Meanwhile, That's such Newt, a weird relationship. And Newt. it's a bore. It is boring. Their relationship is boring. Mm-hmm. He's so, he has so much to offer, like, as a person, and he's very interesting and intelligent. And he's over here, like, hyper-focused on this girl who's, I mean, absent the whole movie, right? And we don't, right. do they have contact in between the previous movie so. and this one? Maybe a little some like letters or anything mm-hmm. like she sends a patronus like hey i miss you i'm but... sure there are letters because they talk about in between the first two movies that he's been writing letters to her he deserves better but it's seven years and then they see each other and you get the sense that they haven't seen each other since the last movie since newt declared his love for her comparing her to a salamander yep and she loved that. She loved that line. She, she ate it up. Ate it up. <laughs> She's all, Thank you. <laughs> she ate that thing up like a Mertlap on Kowalski's neck. Your eyes, your eyes, they're, they're like Solomon. It's like, it's, like, it's like fire on water. But Rob, you had mentioned that Bunty is kind of useless in the film. And I kind of agree. Like, we talked a little bit about how Dumbledore is manipulating... I don't know about manipulating other people into this cause, but he's playing this chess game with other people where he's sending them out on these like random missions to throw off Grindelwald, who is a seer. So like the whole purpose is to divert Grindelwald's attention to these other things going on so that he doesn't really see the real plan. And Bunty ends up being the last person to bring forth the chillin, the, the real chillin at the end of the movie that just crushes any hope of Grindelwald taking over this position and winning the election. But I feel like it was a big blunder again with Bunty being the, the person that does this reveal. We see in the movie when Dumbledore sends off all these people into their different directions, different missions, Bunty takes Newt's suitcase And they're all given fake suitcases, which that was a whole ordeal in itself, too. Like, why did they have to make different suitcases from a muggle suitcase maker when they could have just used the doubling charm? I mean, we've talked about that in the podcast previously. I've got got a take on that. But continue where you're talking about the shell game that they play in that last scene when they go to the election at the Kingdom of Bhutan. Yeah, so they make all these different suitcases and Grindelwald's people are running around trying to chase after everyone and they don't really know what they're chasing after. They're just chasing after everybody. At the very end, the last reveal, when all hope is lost, steps forward this woman wearing all black, fully covered, 
And everyone in the seats are thinking, that's it. It's Tina. Tina is the one that comes to save the day at the very end, to save Newt, to save Kowalski, to end all of it. We've been waiting for this. Tina's the one that has the suitcase, the real suitcase. Because Mike? Bunty told Newt, not everyone can know, right? Or what was it like? Nobody can know everything. Nobody can know everything. And she kind of winks at him. And mm-hmm. we get that impression that she knows something. And maybe that was hinting towards, hey, you don't know this, but Tina is also in on this. You can't even know everything, Newt. Well, you but know you she knows like something because she gets that note from it. Dumbledore that burns up after she reads it. Mm-hmm. So Bunty takes off the gown that she's wearing. She reveals that it's her, and it's just like this huge letdown. It's like, oh, sorry, oh, Bunty, correct. but it oh, was a letdown. <laughs> they could have made it, Tina, and I think it would have been, you know, surprising, and it would have kind of shocked you. And I mean, why didn't they do that? This is the Someone consequence of J.K. Rowling. <laughs> this is the consequence of Tina stepping out against J.K. Rowling for comments on Twitter. Wait, wait, explain that one. I have explained this one. So we have several characters in this have had these storylines built up and they've been compounding on each other. You see Credence, who in the first movie was, you know, this very meek, meager kind of character. And then all of a sudden it's revealed that he's very powerful, is one of the more powerful forces that's around. And that's why Grindelwald is after him because Mm -hmm. he even says in Crimes of Grindelwald, that Credence is the key to their future success, to them taking over and to their goal being achieved. And then in this movie, his role is like just super diminished to where like, oh yeah, he's dying, by the way. And he, the power that we showed you in the other movies, yeah, it's not that powerful after all. Then you have Tina too, where she's been the main character for the last two movies with Newt as the love interest, as one of the main people that bring forth this uh, story and help it unravel. And then we see her for like one minute, two minutes on screen, and she has really no importance to the storyline at all. Mm -hmm. And just so happens, the person who plays Tina, I can't remember her name. Um, Her name is something water, something waters. Can't remember her name of the actress, but Catherine Watterson. Catherine Watterson. So when J.K. Rowling came out against, with these comments against, I think it was trans women, Kathleen had taken a stance against J.K. Rowling saying, hey, what she said was wrong. I'm going to stand by my convictions. And then J.K. Rowling, I have a theory, may have said, well, written out of the story. Mm. Same thing with Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller keeps getting in trouble in Hawaii, and then there's choking and all this other stuff. <laughs> So the next movie, yeah, I think they're going to just kill Credence off screen. I think he's going to die off screen. He's going to die off screen. And well, then, they've got to have a gap. Yeah, he's going to die. I forgot like about the, that. But yeah, that did come out. Well, that <laughs> just happened. That came out, you know, right. after they promoted the movie. Ezra Miller is over in Hawaii right. just getting arrested swinging left and right. <laughs> like, because didn't Ezra Miller's swinging someone. and he's shake, choking Danish ladies. Didn't he assault someone else too? Like, he did. I had yeah, he assaulted yeah. someone in a bar. I like him a lot. Or I guess I should say I like them a lot. Um, Perks of Being a Wallflower, one of my favorite movies. And I just, yeah. I wish that Credence would have had more screen time because his hair 
is great in this movie. The first one, not so hot. So it would have been nice to see the Wizarding World's version of Kylo Ren. Just have more screen mm-hmm. time. But we didn't The first get movie, Credence looked like he was like a Franciscan monk. He like had a, a, like the berries he had like and cream haircut. like that 14th century haircut. <laughs> it was like... The dumbest haircut that you see in all those on all those bad oil paintings, you know, like well, oh man, sad and kid in now an it's, orphanage. Now it's just long. Like, now it's just long hair. Don't care. Yeah, Grindelwald said, "Do whatever you want. Get your hair cut the way you like it." But Credence is you very powerful. To... That's that's clear. I mean, his fight between Dumbledore and Credence, like that, that's the best duel in the movie. It's the oh, best. Oh, when uh, they're doing that Inception duel. battle. Yeah, the Inception Mirror Master battle that felt like it was just a preview for the Doctor Strange movie. Like, <laughs> Credence Dumbledore about, oh, when Dumbledore was a waterbender? Yeah. Yeah, when, oh my yeah, gosh. That you had the me. Battle of the Benders. You had Dumbledore's the waterbender and you had, you had Credence the genderbender. You had, you had both of them fighting off each other, you know, and using their different abilities. You had, you had Credence like tearing up the entire street behind him. But did like, that even happen? In a higher, in like a, cyclone did it happen the entire scene in mirror world it happened and yeah i was gonna say in like the upside down right so abby you don't know this but like dumbledore is just looking in a mirror and credence walks up behind him and it's like a snowflake or a raindrop that falls and then dumbledore blows it into the glass and it like warps the glass and then it hits credence in the eyeball and then it's Mm. it's, they're both all of a sudden in this mirror dimension or something it's weird and I the Dumbledore is involved. Spit. Oh the yeah, whole scene. rain makes more sense. I thought he spit. <laughs> I was like, pure, ew, pure of hearts. Spit right in his eye. <laughs> that whole scene, I was all I can think about. I couldn't think about the battle. I couldn't think about how powerful Credence and Dumbledore were. All I could think about was Ron's incredible ineptitude. As far as Dumbledore gives him the Deluminator, and we never see it in the original Harry Potter series. And so now we're seeing what the Deluminator can really do. And Dumbledore is just rolling over in his grave after he gives Ron the Deluminator. Like, Ron, that's All not the reason why I gave it to him. With it? <laughs> Ron, I don't want to get into Ron right now, but Ron. One thing I wanted to say about Credence, because Jay was saying that uh, Credence feels like he's not strong anymore. And I have a reason for this. I have a reason for it because we see Credence using like power on display in the scene with the chillin mm-hmm. where he overpowers Newt in this duel, you know, and it, even though there's other people there, it feels very much like this duel is just between Newt and Credence and he overpowers Newt in that duel. And then he has this, this duel goes toe to toe with Albus Dumbledore, which is no small feat is able to last quite some time. He does ultimately lose. Uh, but still d- displays an awful lot of power. But I understand the explanation for why Credence all of a sudden, right after that moment, just falls off the face of the planet. Because if you remember, Grindelwald said about Credence that he was able to survive the Obscurial so long because what? His anger is his strength. Yeah, and he wasn't angry anymore. And then once he has oh. the duel with Dumbledore, Dumbledore like pins him down and he tells him, he's like, we didn't know. And if we had, we would have been there for you. He apologizes to Credence and he lets him go. And then Credence, like now that his anger has faded, his health quickly declines. Mm -hmm. 
because his anger is gone. I mean, he's like a dark lord of the Sith. It's just like his rage was all that was keeping him together. <laughs> That's a good point. It's like Darth Vader. Once, you know, it's like, you think Darth Vader just died because he got a shocky shock? You know, no, he's, he lost the rage, lost the rage to live. That brings up a point that I'm curious about, and I don't know if you guys have discussed this, but with magic, can you deplete it over time? And then how much like exertion does it take to deplete your magic? And then how long does it take for it to come back? I feel like JK didn't do like, she like soft world built Harry Potter, right? And so there's sure. a lot of little tiny holes here and there. It wasn't like huge on world building, which is good because then it leaves it up to like interpretation and headcanon and all that. But if we're going to have some hard and fast rules, this chillin's going to determine who's going to be the next person. It's not even in the Fantastic Beast book. Did she think out like what it's going to take to deplete someone's magic and then, you know, how long it takes for it to come back? Or is that just something that we're maybe going to find out? Maybe not. I love that. Yeah. You're I mean, I'll tell you what, you're hitting me right in the nerd like feels because <laughs> you're, we're talking about soft building, soft world building and magic systems versus a hard magic system. No, don't get uh, me going. Oh this my is goodness. where my brain I'm, goes all the time. So I was like to thrilled this. to be here. Hillary, where have you been? I haven't been able to talk about any of this stuff. Reading Harry Potter fanfic at my house by myself. <laughs> it's great. Um, I, I think that this is probably the softest as far as the magic system goes of all of the Harry Potter movies. And I say that because there is almost no verbal magic that takes place over this movie, mm -hmm. which is something that's strange, but something I loved and appreciated. I was wondering, like, why are these people in these life and death scenarios? If you know how to do nonverbal magic, why are you saying spells and wasting time? Right. You know, and telegraphing well, also, your like, moves. Right. Like you're telling people what counter curse they can use or whatever. Another exactly. thing, too, is that like everyone in this movie, minus Credence, who doesn't really use magic, he uses the Obscurial, and I think the Obscurial uses Credence's magic, but everyone in this movie is a well-trained wielder of magic. They've be gone to their school, they've gone to their respective schools, they've gone to Ilmvermorny, they've gone to um, Hogwarts, and they've been trained. When they were at Hogwarts, when they were students, they probably did use verbal spells because they were not as accustomed to those spells or they weren't as um, well-practiced in those. But as they mm -hmm. go into adulthood, I bet you that they get more and more comfortable and familiar with those. And that's why they are able to do nonverbal back and forth, back and forth, back and forth is because it's almost become like second nature to them at this point. Mm -hmm. Right. I think Harry really missed out on um, the dueling club and all the different things he could have learned at Hogwarts is busy fighting off tom or but, trying to snitch on malfoy yeah right like taking polyjuice just like being a menace and <laughs> making hermione save him all the time so i think you know i don't even know if we see harry casting like nonverbal spells in the battle of hogwarts do we no that's a good I mean, question not even expelliarmus no he's right. always saying like, expelliarmus out loud like the hardest one yeah. to say <laughs> So I'm, yeah, like I mean, in the books, they talked about like the importance of doing nonverbals, especially like in the instances of dueling. But and then I they think never it was do. something, yeah, like Hermione, of course, became pretty comfortable with it, but it was something that Ron and Harry like kind of struggled with. Well, it's not like they were that great of students to begin with. How did they become ours? <laughs> 
How? How did Harry become the leader of the order? All you have department? to do is just be the one who survives. You, I'm you, the chosen you, one. All you have to do is be the chosen one. Skate by on just talent and sheer uh, charisma alone. Sure, dumb luck. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure, dumb luck. Felix for sure. It helps when you have extra lives. It's like when you're playing Ocarina of Time and you have that fairy in the bottle. For sure, though. <laughs> Harry gets like, struck down and he dies. It's like, oh, hey, by the way, I was a horcrux, still alive. <laughs> my fairy popped out the bottle and <laughs> fill up my three hearts. <laughs> Speaking of people who just skated by, let's talk about Aberforth. It felt like I was watching a, the British version of Parks and Rec because he was straight Ron Swanson. I thought it was great. I thought it was a great interpretation of who he becomes. I felt like they could have included him more, but at the same time, I thought that that showcased who he was. Like, he is a very distant person. I think I've read somewhere that he often, like, that's how he was with people in general, even being the owner of the hog's head. He was very distant and very short, very cold. He was probably friendlier to goats than he was to the people that would go over and patron his bar. (laughs) Well, well, I mean, right. he so, must like, have been very distant some... because nobody knew him. Yeah, well, everyone described, like, Aberforth was, like, the opposite of Dumbledore, right? Like, Dumbledore was bright, charismatic, super talented, and Aberforth just kind of... Did his own thing. Was what, not... took his dedication yeah. to his family seriously? He was genuine, I think. He was true to himself, right? If he was, like, right. a grumpy For person, sure. at least he was outright about it. He didn't try to use students as pawns to defeat the Dark Lord. Yeah, he wasn't sending 11-year-olds into dungeons with a (laughs) devil's snare and stuff and trolls and three-headed dogs. I think that might have even been part of the reason why he became that way, because Dumbledore was like so great at everything. Kind of being like the shadow, living in the shadow of your older brother or something. Right, right. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And feeling and feeling very much exactly how Albus felt. Like, you know, Albus kind of built up this resentment. You get the feel that this is the case. They built up this resentment towards Ariana because he felt like he wanted to, you know, achieve greatness and power and that Ariana was holding him back. They felt tethered mm-hmm. to her. And then meanwhile, you've got Aberforth who feels frustrated because like, hey, this is my sister. She, I'm committed to her and devoted to her and I'm going to be here for her. And Albus just wanted to leave. Mm-hmm. And then not only that, but like, you know, the blaming for the, your sister's death. And then Albus takes off. I and I don't necessarily think that this is who Aberforth becomes because you see who he becomes in the Deathly Hallows. And that mm-hmm. that it must show that Aberforth was super distant because you see all of these scenes that take place in the Hogshead throughout the series. And Aberforth is not mentioned in any of them. Dumbledore's army is meeting in the hog's head. Like they have their first meeting there in the upper room of the hog's head. And Aberforth isn't mentioned at all. They, they have no idea who he is until the seventh book. And then you find out, oh, I'm just the owner of the hog's head. Like it's, it feels so out of left field. Well, Dumbledore does casually mention to Harry, um, I think when they were first like organizing Dumbledore's army that he knew like about like the first meeting and harry's like how would you know and he's like i'm friendly with the owner of the bar so he mm-hmm. kind of mentions it there but like that's it you know that, that was the it. only illusion mm-hmm. he doesn't Speaking even say of, his name also what's weird is aberforth has been communicating with credence who he knows that this is his son 
through post shower mirrors and 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 like my question is he knows so early that credence is out there and like you see like messages so this is something that you kind of see early on where there's a scene with credence in his room and he's talking with queenie and credence like receives this fogged up message in the mirror that's in his room and then like not very long later because you're wondering like who is sending these messages to credence and then you see in the hogshead when they meet Aberforth, there's a message that pops up in the mirror there. And you're like, oh, he's been talking with Aberforth. And then you find out that that's his, that's his son, that Credence is Aberforth Dumbledore's son. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, mm-hmm. Abby, that was, that was new information to you that we've just been kind of... No, <laughs> we're I, so uh, all over I the knew. place with the plot of this movie. Uh, <laughs> I, I was, I was I fairly upset spoiler. that none of my guesses in the last episode came to fruition. Yeah, I can't believe that it mm-hmm. wasn't... That Credence wasn't the son of 13-year-old Ariana. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but Oof. Aberforth... I mean, and even that revelation didn't feel like it meant much. Because, like, we're so not connected to Aberforth at all. Right. Um, and, like, even in the past, like, flashbacks of, like, Dumbledore and Grindelwald, we never see Aberforth even in the background or even as an ancillary character in those flashbacks. So it didn't mean much, at least not for me. And it gave me the question, like, if he knows this is your son and you know he wants to come home because it's the message they put in the mirror, I'm ready to come home or I want to come home, one of those two. Why did he do nothing? Or why didn't Credence just leave? Yeah, it didn't make sense for them to keep communicating back and forth. Like, oh, I miss you. I miss you too. We should hang out soon. We should hang out soon too. How did it? Like, just go hang out. How do they even establish that connection between the Hog's Head and Nuremberg? Because... It's a good question. Like, would you need somebody to cast on both windows? Or is it more connected to, like, the person... Where it's like, okay, I'm going to send this message to so-and-so, and wherever they are, the closest window is going to pop up this message. Is it like it's their clear. internal Aberforth magic? Aberforth is the master of mirrors. Because like that's that's how he communicates with Harry, like keeps tabs on Harry and the Deathly Hallows is through the mirror. Mm. And then in the mirror in this movie, he's talking to his son, you know, like maybe he just has some special Hmm. mirror magic that he's been specializing in. That's a fair point. Maybe it is just Aberforth has a trick up his sleeve. Why doesn't every wizard just carry a small pocket mirror around if you can just send text messages through mirrors? Yeah. Or like, Like, you know, Tom Riddle's diary, you could have little notebooks. Yeah, where you write in, it writes back to you. Yeah. I just don't know why they're not on board with texting. Like, why not? They're so right. far behind. Well, Why to not? be fair, Harry Potter was in the 90s, so texting was in wasn't, the 90s. wasn't a thing, but you know. No beepers, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no electronic mails. They probably had, like, charmed items. Kind of like a remember-all that would, like, you know, light up if someone was thinking about you or wanted to talk to you. Ooh. Just didn't outline it. Seamus and Dean Thomas don't even talk about AOL. Seamus and Dean were <laughs> definitely on MySpace whenever it happened. Dean goes home. It's like, hey, Dean, what'd you do this summer? Oh, yeah, we got this new computer. Makes a lot of noises. We're chatting on AIM. Oh, my goodness. Thanks, you guys, for joining us for this episode of the Slug Club Podcast. If you like the conversation and you want to hear more, you can find the Slug Club Podcast on Spotify or also on Apple Podcasts. 
If you want to join in on the conversation and give us ideas for new conversations, new podcast episodes, you can follow us on our social media at The Slug Club on Instagram or on Facebook. We'll see you guys later, but until then, mischief managed. The Slug Club podcast is a creative discussion between Harry Potter fans and has no affiliation whatsoever with Warner Brothers, J.K. Rowling, or any of their affiliates. All opinions expressed in the Slug Club podcast are completely our own. No house elves were harmed in the making of this episode.